So I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting at verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 119. I'll be reading verses 1 to 8. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the word of the Lord. It's a tradition to stand when we hear the uh, the voice of a king, particularly the king of kings, and we are in his presence. Brothers and sisters, the gospel portion from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
You have heard that it was said, shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So let's pray. Father, I ask that the um, words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable in your sight. Amen. We are... Um, On our third week, looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I, I would like to go back two weeks ago and to maybe r clarify something. Now, I know most of you probably weren't here two weeks ago, but I had a number of comments from people online, and uh, they were quite under, maybe they weren't quite clear what we were doing and why we were doing it. And so the first um, lesson from Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, it came um, the several days after International Holocaust and Genocide Day. And uh, all of that made me think um, about uh, what was it in Germany that allowed, yes, Hitler or Nazi ideology to take root and to take root so rapidly after uh, the Great Depression? And of course, there are cultural factors and economic factors and, and more, but I was interested in uh, psychological, theological, spiritual, spiritual reasons. And it's in all of that, when I was uh, just considering the context of uh, pre-Nazi Germany, that it struck me that what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is not just only for individuals, 
It's not just about our personal piety, but it's also about a community, right? Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is not, he, he, he wasn't, and he, I don't think he intended what we read in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to be um, beautiful universal values. I don't think he objects that uh, Thomas Jefferson or Gandhi or Tolstoy, you know, take these and somehow want the entire human family uh, to, to live by them, right? In Matthew 5, 3, right, well, even in Matthew 5, 2, Jesus sits down, it's the disciples that come to him. All during the, all throughout the sermon, right? He refer, he, when he's speaking to the disciples, he's talking about your father in heaven. He's talking about those who are committed. as those who are in his family. And not to belabor the point that was made two weeks ago, that uh, many times when Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, he uses it with a certain nuance, and it doesn't always mean the same thing. And uh, it's up to us, the reader, to determine how the phrase is being used, how the, the concept is being employed. And many times Jesus is talking about uh, his redemptive power that comes into the lives of people. And when he starts to rule or reign, he starts to take control, then we have healing and reconciliation and folks coming to, to, uh, to peace in themselves. Uh, the demonic is driven back. And sometimes Jesus points to, uses the phrase to point to himself as being the king. And at other times, Jesus uses the term kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God to talk uh, or to describe his movement that group of people that have made Jesus king, uh, that group of people that are, are following him. And of course, that's what happens in Matthew 5, 3. And if these are not just individual values, or this is not just a teaching for individuals, but it's a teaching for a, a, for a family, for a church, for a community, for... Uh, something larger than a community, people who want to submit themselves to the king. Yes. What is the connection? Yeah, what is this connection with Holocaust Day? The connection is simply this, that um, before the war, or be after the first war, the Great War, and before the Second World, you had a country that was absolutely humiliated. Yes. In its humiliation, it had a hard time believing, it had a hard time comprehending that something so drastic and disastrous could have happened to Germany. And yet the answer was quite simple. What was the answer? Germ the German army was brilliant tactically, but the Germany, its generals and its politicians were quite stupid strategically. And there's no way they could fight a two-front war. So they lost. But no, there had to be some conspiracy. It couldn't be because of, they made a mistake or their own stupidity. 
And secondly, you had a community that was divided and shattered, and you had this longing for community, right? You had a, over, you had a reaction to individualism uh, or people wanting their freedom uh, at the expense of the group. And then you had, and I didn't mention this, but I want to mention this at the end, you, there was a desire amongst people, a great desire amongst people to live a life that's heroic, to live a life that has meaning, to live a life that isn't drab and isn't about just waking up and going to, the, going to work, going to the factory, or in our case, sitting in front of the computer all day. Yes, people wanted something bigger than themselves, and they wanted to change the world, or they wanted to make a difference. Yes, some of those very things are with us today in our society. Maybe we don't find ourselves humiliated, but many people long for community. Many people are searching for why the world is so complicated and grabbing onto very simple things like it has to be a conspiracy or it has to be the Jews who are controlling things, or it's the CIA, or it's the, you know, it's something, something really simple. And finally, you have a lot of people, yes, a lot of people, again, looking for something to glue them or bond, to bond us together, because there's so much division and disunity, Right, and what is the meaning and purpose of life? Yes, is it just to get up and go to work and to make sure I have enough money so I can leave my parents' basement and go to Starbucks, yes, you know, and buy two or three overpriced coffees, right, uh, a day, yeah? And again, I think the Sermon on the Mount speaks to that, it speaks to a community, or it speaks to a society yeah, that has these, um, these needs. And um, the, <clears throat> the teaching of Jesus, right, is first and foremost, uh, not first and foremost, but at least in this passage in Matthew chapter three, is that he is creating a people. He's creating a people for himself. God has always been in the business of looking for a people or fashioning a people. It started with Adam and Eve. Well, that didn't work out. But then there were the nations in Genesis 11. That didn't work out. And God calls Abraham. And God calls Israel. And God calls the church. And that, brothers and sisters, is the first place that we look for community. Yes? Our community or our identity, or the thing that glues us and holds us together cannot be first and foremost uh, our politics. It cannot be our nation state. I mean, I'm not against nation states. They exist. I hope they're, they're all good ones. It can't be exactly our denomination. Uh, it can't be you know, uh, uh, our social class or you know, our, even our gender or our sexual identity, yes? 
All of those things people try over and over again, it leads to disaster, right? Jesus calls us to, right, is to come into community with him, come into a family, his family, with Jesus being king. And Jesus goes on, right, to talk about what this family looks like or what this movement looks like, this kingdom of heaven movement. And he then begins to teach his followers, look, this is how, this is how we live. Yes, this is how, um, or, or these are the values of the community or the family in which we live. And he has to, um, somewhere along the way, and that was last week, tell folks, hey, look, I'm telling you all this. It may sound new and radical, but actually it's not because I'm upholding, and even he's going to go on to say, I'm deepening the interpretation of God's law. I'm, in deep, uh, I'm interpreting the Torah. That Torah, as we read in Deuteronomy and that we read in Psalm 19, the intention of the Torah is good. The way that human beings apply the Torah and live it out has not always been very successful, okay? In the Christian world, we think it's, well, I'm free from the law and all that stuff is bad and Jesus came and he died so I don't have to relate to that kind of thing at all. Jesus said, you know, I've come not to abolish, but I've come to, we think in Hebrew it should be interpreted properly, properly interpret the Torah. And it's important. And why is it important? It's important, yeah, and we mentioned two reasons. It's important because one, let's talk about enlightened self-interest, yes, in many places, as we read in Deuteronomy 30, or in Deuteronomy 11, God says, I give you the law for your own good, right? Because without the rules and the regulations that bring us, point us to life, what will we do? We will destroy ourselves. Yes, we will end up as a society or civilization in chaos. And so, again, it's for our own good, so we don't fall into a mess, uh, or we don't fall into uh, lawlessness. But it's also more important because all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, right, obeying God's commandments does something really important for us. Obeying God's commandments, yes, sanctifies us. It makes us holy, yes? On one hand, brothers and sisters, God declares us to, as all those of us who are in Christ, he says we're holy. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, he says to this really dysfunctional, bunch of, uh, dysfunctional group of people, the church at Corinth, the church where you have uh, uh, incest and um, uh, rivalry going on and one Christian taking another Christian to court. He says, you guys are holy. Pretty wild statement. But then we get to chapter six and he tells 
this church. And he'll do the same thing in 2 Corinthians. Because of what God has done for you, for us, and because of how he's set us aside, now you sanctify yourself. You make yourself holy. So holiness always has two parts, God's part and our response. Yes, God's part and our response. And holiness is not just a separation from evil. Yeah, we have a whole Christian tradition, God bless them, in which they get holiness 50% right. Holiness is, in a certain many Christian traditions, I'm not going to play cards. I'm not going to go to the movies. Well, if you're not going to go to the movies, I'm, maybe I don't blame you. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to dance. Da, 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 da. There is holiness means to be separate and to remove ourselves you know, from those things that are evil or even those things that give the appearance of evil but may not be evil. But you know what? Holiness is also goodness. Yes. Ho what it means to be holy, it means to live a life of ethical goodness. And this is what you find in Leviticus 19. It's a passage, right? God says to Israel, by the way, holiness is always happens, has to happen in a community. It can't be just God and me. Yes, uh, God, and, God and I, God and me being holy. It has to be done within a, within a people. Because again, God has always wanted to dwell in a people. He's always been, he's always looking for a people where he can uh, dwell in his where he can be glorified, not just individuals. And so the Lord says to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I am the Lord your God, I am holy. And, but, and then it goes on to tell us what is, what is holiness. And just to give you a few examples, it says don't make idols, respect your father and mother. It says don't reap the harvest of your land, when you reap the harvest of your land, save some for the poor. It says, don't steal, don't lie, don't deceive, don't swear falsely, don't cheat your neighbor, don't hold back the wages of a hired man overnight, don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, don't pervert justice, don't show partiality to the poor or to the rich, don't go about spreading slander, Right? Do nothing that endangers your neighbor's life. Right? That's holiness. And so often we've focused on one part of it. It's not just staying away from evil. It's also running toward the good and living a life right, of ethical goodness. And that's the purpose of the law. Right? The law is to um, bring us life and blessing and the law is also there to do what? It's also there to enable us to have access to God. You know, holiness is an, an end in itself, right? Holiness is so that we enter a, into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. 
And all of that will, as we said last week, is largely contingent on obedience. Whew. Now we can continue, okay? It's not so long now. But you know what? While the law of the Lord may be perfect, according to Psalm 119, or Psalm 19, and probably repeats itself in 119, human beings are not. Yes? It's not that the law fails, it's the flesh that fails, to paraphrase Paul. And so consequently, if we understand the law is good and the law brings life, is there not a human tendency to say, I'm going to keep the rules, yeah, on the outside, because, you know, who wants to look different or who wants to, you know, not be a part of the group? But inside, I'm going to remain autonomous. Inside, I'm going to be me. And inside, I'm going to do it my way. And that's what our passage is all about. It's not that the law is bad. It's just that the human heart can be quite deceptive and quite wicked. And we love to compromise. And so consequently, what does Jesus have to do? He has to, to take what is written and he has to interiorize it. We, he ha we have to go deeper than just doing the externals. Now, please don't get me wrong. The externals are also really important, but they have to be done for the right reason, okay? And we all know, do we not, how Christians can follow the letter of the law. And this has been a big problem in the church, and let's don't start criticizing Jewish people, okay? how Christians can follow the letter of the law and yet live unethically or actually be sinning. Yes. How many people do I know who say, yes, I'm following the Bible in its commands, you know, for sexual purity, but the way they flirt, uh, the way they, what they look at, what they, um, the pornography that they use on computer, the movies that they see. And many of just say, yeah, I, I'm not having sex outside of marriage, or I'm not having, I'm not having, uh, I'm not having sexual relationships to unmarried. And yet people will find ways to keep the law, yes, and they will, and they will <clears throat> um, <clears throat> surely cut corners. And so, what does Jesus want to highlight? He wants to ask us or to, to highlight, right, our motivation, our attitudes, uh, even our imagination. And he does it uh, with authority, great authority. And maybe that's one of the more shocking things about the passage. Uh, he's, you've heard it said, this is the tradition, this is the interpretation, but I'm telling you, this is the way it should be. And, and one of the, uh, uh, you might say, claims for the, Jesus, his messiahship, his kingship, uh, his, um, 
status, you might say, with God, his divinity, is that he can come and say, I have the right interpretation of the biblical text, of the Old Testament. I'm not throwing it out. You, you have to, if you're my disciple, you follow how I understand, uh, how I understand these things. So we have um, Jesus starts with murder, yes. Jesus then goes on to reconciliation. He talks about adultery, divorce, oath, etc. So let's think about this for a minute, okay? Reconciliation. Now, in our community, our, the community that's supposed to be light and salt, the community that's supposed to be, that reflects God's character, right? What does, what does the lack of reconciliation do in our community? It creates chaos. It certainly creates bad feelings. When there's fights amongst Christians, we ask ourselves, wait a minute, where's the gospel? Where's the Holy Spirit? Why aren't people obeying God? Of course, then when, when it happens to us, we don't quite ask ourselves that same question. Right? And again, as, as a witness or as a community that should be holy or one that should imitate God, what does Jesus say here? He says to the person who probably maybe didn't do anything wrong, he says to that person, you go and fix the problem, which this, by the way, can be, can be quite hard at times. Yes, someone has something against you, and most, most of the time we'll say, I didn't do anything, it's their problem, let them come to me. No, Jesus says before you perform your religious duty or before you, 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 go, you, go and be, you go and be reconciled. And then he goes on uh, to adultery. And again, it's easy to say, well, wait a minute, what does this have to do with the community life? You know, this is my thing. Nobody knows, you know, nobody knows how, I, and I like having a fantasy life because, you know, things in my marriage don't quite work out the way. And, but Jesus, one reason that Jesus condemns adultery, uh, uh, lust, because not only can it lead to another sin, but what is lust basically? Lust is taking a per looking at a person, yes, or relating to a person as if they're an object, right? They're a sexual object. They're no longer really a human being made in God's image. And that devalues, right, members of the community, well, members of the society in general. And divorce, I think divorce is in some ways related to reconciliation because the sin isn't so much of the divorce. The sin is that the relationship is broken down and it hasn't been repaired and people get to a divorce. Now, just I need to say that when Jesus is talking here, these aren't his final words or these aren't the final, uh, you might say, understandings, uh, interpretations that uh, we get from Jesus or from the New Testament. I think Jesus is highlighting some principles. 
right? And the principle, at least that I want to bring out, is a communal principle about a church or even a family or a ministry, or hopefully we can uh, talk about something bigger than all this. And what, um, you know, it, there's the, uh, it goes on, we've stopped, but it goes on to talk about oaths, meaning saying one thing and doing another. And again, what happens in our community or what happens amongst us when there's not integrity or, trans, or transparency? Or people say one thing and do something else? Or people are involved in uh, financial misdoings or financial um, shenanigans in one way or another? And uh, then it's beyond the passage that we read. Jesus talks about, you know, an eye for an eye and, and love of enemies. But the, the, the key verse, one of the key verses maybe in, almost in the entire sermon is at the end of five, and it's be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? Imitate God. Right? And it was God. Is God one to uh, promote reconciliation? Yes. Is God one to keep his oath? or to, to keep his promises? Yes. Is God one who promotes divorce? Oh, you're going to say, yeah, God hates divorce. Uh-uh. That's what, think about all through the Hebrew Bible. Yes. God has a wife. What's the name of that wife? Israel. Israel has many lovers and husbands. Yes. Israel cheats on God. Just this same way the church treats, cheats on God, right? The bride of Christ. So we're no better. Israel cheats on God, but God never divorces Israel and takes another wife, right? God is faithful. Talk about enemies, right? God, God, God forgives his enemies. And gracious to them, right? All of these are about a way a community, not just individuals, a way the church, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is the way we need, right, to imitate God. The imitation of God, to imitate God, is to be holy. And again, it's not, you know, for the sake of holiness. God isn't trying to stop us from having a good time. It's actually at the end of the day so that through obedience we can have life. Now, this, this, there's two, I guess, two parts to this in the end. One, this, there's a special responsibility on the community, on those God has gifted maybe to teach or to lead or to mentor because I'd like to remind you that the Great Commission uh, at the end of Matthew's Gospel is, yes, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, yes, everything I have commanded. Something's missing there. Teaching them, teaching us, uh, let's say us, 
teaching all of us to obey all that I have commanded, right? To obey all that I have commanded. And look, sometimes this seems a little tough. It seems like we read these words and we think, uh-uh. First of all, Jesus, I don't understand this. Second of all, Jesus, this is too challenging. I'll just be a sinner saved by grace, you know, which means I have an excuse to sin, right? It's not that I'm, I'm a disciple being transformed or I'm a disciple being converted, yes, undergoing the process of conversion and change. It's, I can't do this. Or maybe this is how we should live when we get to heaven, yeah? Um, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, well, yeah, let's not think about this too much. I'll just read the epistles and then it might be, it might be uh, easier. And after all, who wants to be holy? Because being holy means you're going to be kind of an old, grumpy, cranky person and you're going to be self-righteous and you might be judging and who knows you might turn into a freak <clears throat> you know you might turn into a freak which reminds me of one of my favorite all-time favorite bands uh, they were jesus free they were jesus hippies they're called the all the all saved freak band i don't know if you've ever you can you can listen to them on uh, youtube check out their uh, version of psalm 100 the all saved freak band okay so who wants to be like that? But that's not biblical holiness, right? If there's no joy in all of this, then we can, or there's no goodness, then we can forget it. But may I remind you that for those of us who struggle, right, the opening words of the sermon is Jesus calling upon us to be poor in spirit, right? To admit our need and to say, Lord, this is hard for me. I can't do it. Yeah. And secondly, <clears throat> there's always the call for spiritual disciplines. Right? We can be trained in righteousness, <clears throat> Paul tells us. And of course, we come to Lent soon, and the traditional Jewish, then they become Christian spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, generosity, these are the three pillars of Jesus. Um, but there are more spiritual disciplines. Maybe we need to exercise the spiritual discipline of being quiet. Or maybe some of us need to exercise the spiritual discipline of not having the last word and always trying to justify ourselves or to promote ourselves or to make ourselves look cool, yeah, on social media. Maybe some of us need to exercise the discipline of, yes, not spreading bad reports or talking about people unless we've heard it from someone, we've heard it uh, directly from the person. Of course, we can always use the excuse, well, I just want to tell you this about uh, so-and-so so we can pray. Yes, that's, we, need, we need to pray. You know, have you heard? He was in a car crash after visiting his mistress, and they found in the car $5 million in cash. 
and he's an elder in the church. We need to pray for this. <clears throat> yeah. So not all of us need the same spiritual discipline. Yeah. Just not everyone, not everyone needs the fast. Not, who likes fasting anyway? Okay. Uh, or not everyone needs, some of us may have a good, great prayer life. We don't need to necessarily pray more. We just ask the Lord, you know, where do we need, yeah? And look, if we want to talk about holiness, yes, holiness is not only a state of being, right? That, but holiness is also a power. And what is, the, what is that power? It's the spirit of holiness. It's the spirit of God. Yes, if we allow that spirit to work in us, that spirit will, bring, will, will work transformation. It'll bring maturity or wholeness. It will uh, bring a, um, a uh, you might say, a healing to the places in our lives that are broken. And some of us will need healing because we have roadblocks, yes? Um, some of us has roadblocks. It could be trauma or abuse. Uh, it could be a lack of faith because we, did, we had parents who were not very uh, supportive or, or didn't provide for our needs. Again, there's healing available. But finally, yes, for those of us who may say to ourselves, yeah, but you know what? I really like this. I really like lust. I really like thinking about, um, well, I'm not going to do it, but I really like thinking about what would it be like to be with that woman? Or what would it be like, you know, if my wife would just go away for the weekend? <clears throat> I'm not going to do anything, but I, I like having that thought life. Yes? Or someone said, you know, it feels really good to be kind of bitter and angry and mean towards, you know, you know, the pastor's wife. But she'll never know. I'm not, I'll always smile and say, how are you? But I like it, you know. Or whatever it may be. Some of us have these so-called happy sins. And we're not prepared to give them up. And so there's a prayer for you. And what is that prayer? The prayer should be the following. Lord, make me willing to be willing. Make me willing to be willing. I'm not really there yet, but I'm going to ask you to, uh, you know, do a number on me. Yeah? And again, is all this challenging? Yes. Should we dumb it down and make it easy and uh, lower the bar? Yes, and lower standards and lower the virtues or the values or the teaching of Jesus and wink our eye at sin? And the answer is heck no. We shouldn't do that at all. And I'll tell you why, because we have a generation of especially young people, yes, who have pretty dull and drab lives. And not everyone, but many will answer a call and, to, and say to them, here's the challenge. 
Yes, after committing our lives to Jesus, this is, this is how we want to live. We don't want to live the lowest common denominator. We want, even if we fail, we want to live, yes, according to what Jesus teaches on the Sermon of the Mount. Yes, this is what's called living lives of, uh, of uh, heroic virtue. And this, I believe, will appeal and, and does appeal. But again, it takes a community. It takes a, a, a congregation that says, hey, this is our values, and the, this is the thing that's most important for us. Last week, we mentioned that dr many young people in the West are leaving the church. And why do they leave the church? Because they, they exit polls, sit, report that many have the same thing over and over to say. Well, the church really doesn't take Jesus seriously. We don't take Jesus seriously. And so, not just as an individual, but again, as a community. Yes, the call, the universal call, is a call to wholeness. It's a call to completeness. It's a call to maturity. It's a call to holiness and the imitation of God. And I think once that becomes our focus again, and not the latest conspiracy theory, and not the latest, you know, uh, thing that comes along about the virus, uh, or whatever that may, or the supporting our favorite politician, because my dear friends, redemption and salvation will not come to us through the political system. Yes, it's not bad to be involved with politics, but that is not the source of our salvation. Right? That is not the source of a, that's not where renewal is going to come to this, to, to our community. And so let's take the teachings of Jesus seriously. They're challenging. Let's don't make excuses. We're, we're, we're weak and sometimes we're ignorant. Uh, but still, still, you know, the, this is the challenge that's in front of us, right? Jesus says in the middle, in the middle of the sermon, right, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, as we'll pray it in a few minutes, it's um, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, in Hebrew or Aramaic, it's, it's may your name be sanctified. May your name be made holy. And who has the responsibility to make God's name holy, right? To glorify him, that's our task. Father in heaven, we pray. And we ask that, uh, again, you would empower us so that uh, we can be not just individuals, but that we can be families, churches, ministries, and more. Yes, that reflect uh, a spiritual maturity that are empowered to um, really to live lives of goodness, uh, that have wisdom to separate ourselves from those things that are evil, and not to accept or believe the values of this world. Lord, help us, we ask, to um, be faithful to you 
and to your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that um, as we seek to do these things, you will bless us with a full measure of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.